Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, January the 26th, 2022. It is currently 3.22 p.m. Central Time. And once again, I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And once again, it's time to turn to our Bible study exercise of the week. And this week, we are studying Genesis chapter 39 specifically so that we can discuss the subject of temptation. And we we really focused in on our last study. We, we kind of turned our attention specifically to the area of sexual temptation because of what happens in Genesis chapter 39. And we will turn our attention back to that to some level, but we may take somewhat of a detour because I really want us to, to rethink the subject of temptation Maybe in a way, I, I want us to think about, not rethink, I want us to think about temptation in a way that maybe we've never thought of it before, all right? Maybe maybe these are concepts that maybe you have heard of them, but I am thinking that many people have never really considered it this way. So I guess in one way, I want you to rethink about temptation, but do so in a very different way, okay? So it's going to take me a minute to get back to Genesis 39, Oh, you've got, I've given you memory verses to memorize using the Bible memory app. Hopefully you're using that. Obviously you can be discussing anything that we've discussed. Anything I have discussed, you can talk with me, emailing me newsif at yahoo.com or the Discord channel. Please take advantage of those situations. These are some very important topics that are very relevant to our life. And hopefully you, you're giving them serious thought. The more I have thought and thought, I have, I've been just looking and reading Genesis 39 over and over and over and over. And I think it was, maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was late last night. I don't remember exactly when it happened, but all of a sudden my thinking started changing. I started kind of like, wait a minute. I I think maybe I've thought about this subject in the wrong way, or maybe I haven't developed my thinking enough in regards to this subject. And the more I kept thinking, kind of a whole new approach began to emerge in my mind. And that's what I'm going to try to put forth today. I'm going to try to put forth my, remember, Bible study exercise. The goal here is for me not just to turn on the microphone and teach, but it's to offer up thoughts. And and, and many times I teach it like I don't know the answer because I'm trying to get you involved in the process. This is not for people who want to be passive. This is for people who want to be actively involved in the study, okay? So I'm going to put forth some ideas, some 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 hypothesis, some, some, some thesis that I want you to consider and I want you to see what you think about it. But I, I hope that this will be very challenging. So here's what I want to do, all right? I, I kept, I got my journal right here and I kept writing in my journal, okay, start this way. And I'm like, no, start this way. I kept battling with myself exactly what would be the most impactful way to start this. And I've decided that this is the most impactful way that I can begin because I want you to really consider a, a completely different approach to this subject. Not, not to Genesis 39 is straightforward. Okay. There, there doesn't require a lot to figure that out, but Genesis 39 raises in very important questions about the subject of temptation. And I want you to think differently about that. So I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever considered Matthew chapter 22 
verses 37 to 40 as critical to the subject of temptation. Have you ever thought of Matthew 22, 37 to 40 as being absolutely critical to the subject of temptation to give us a correct, not only understanding of temptation, but a correct way in order to fight against temptation. You say, well, I know what you're thinking. Well, wait a minute. What is Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40? What does it say? Well, let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus said unto him, now someone had come to, someone had come to Jesus asking him, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love the, thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. How do you think that fits in with the subject of temptation? More specifically, how do you think those verses fit in with Genesis chapter 39? And the whole, the, 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 basically a good portion of the chapter, just not when Joseph is tempted to engage in sexual relations, but really everything going on in Genesis 39. How does Matthew 22 37 through 40 fit in to our understanding of it. I really, 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 really want you to think about that, all right? In fact, part of me wanted to do an episode today just saying, okay, guys, I want you to think about, Matt, I was gonna give this as homework. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, what does that got to do with the subject of temptation? What does this have to do with uh, Genesis chapter 39? You go work on it. Send me all of your responses, and then tomorrow we, we will discuss it. That's almost what I wanted to do, but I have convinced myself not to do that because I'm going to try to just get, get us discussing it here, and then hopefully it leads to a lot of very interesting discussions later on. Okay, are, are you ready? So I've, I've got my notebook here. Here's what I want us to do first, all right? I think it's very important. I want us to, to understand, this is so important, that when it comes to temptation, we tend to focus on the external, external things that entice, remember, well, let's do this. Let's remember our definition of temptation. Let's do that. The definition of temptation that I have put forth is that anything that entices you to move away from God's standard in thought and word in action, or in attitude. A temptation is anything that entices you. Here's, here's God's standard, right? Here, whatever God's standard, you name the, the standard, right? Here's God's standard. Anything that comes along and says, no, 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 come here, come here. I know that's the standard, but come here, come here. Either it tries to entice you to think differently, speak differently, do differently, or feel differently than, than is consistent with that standard. Anything that entices you. Now, what we have a tendency to do is always focus on the external things that tempt us, right? Okay, okay, you can't watch that because that can tempt you. You can't hang out with those people because that can tempt you. And you can't read that. You can't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And we always refer to temptation as an external threat, as an external source of enticement to move you away from God's standard. 
I'm going to put forth the thesis that the real source of temptation is not the that what which is external, but it is what is internal in all of us. Inside all of us is a sinful nature. What is inside of every single person is a sinful nature. It is a depraved flesh. And that nature and that flesh is constantly enticing you to go to move away from God's standard in thought and word and action and in attitude. It really the, the battle is inside. Now there are things out there, right, that will appeal to that flesh, that will try to entice that flesh, but the flesh in and of itself is all all constantly fighting the spirit. The flesh is constantly fighting the spirit. The flesh is constantly going against the spirit. So the flesh is constantly saying, think your thoughts, speak your words, do what you want to do, feel the way you want to feel, right? It's always like the, the, the flesh's thinking is think in a way that's about you to your advantage. What, think about the things that you want. Do the things you want. Speak about the words you want. It's always about you, you, you. The source is really inside, now, I know we have a tendency to go, okay, I got to stay away from that. Stay away. That's a source of temptation. That's a source of temptation. That's a source of temptation. But you can remove all of those supposed sources of temptation and the real source is inside of you. It's almost like, and again, I, I know this is a, it's not a great illustration, but it, it works. It's almost like in a horror movie, they're like, someone's trying to get me. Someone's trying to get me. I need you to send the police. I need you to send the police. They're out to get me. They're, they're going to get me. And then finally, the police calls you back and go, we, 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 we trace the call. We know where the person is. Where? They're inside your house. Get out of your house. In other words, it's almost like we found the source and the source is inside of you. That's why when Christians run around and go, oh, we, you know, movies are making kids so bad and video games and music, and we look to everything. Well, all I would say is, okay, let's remove all of those things. Let's remove the movies. Let's remove the music. Let's remove the video games. Let's remove it all. And we can do that, right? We can remove it all and we can do it in a sense, in a factual way by simply going back in history, I can go back to Cain and Abel. There was no video games. There was no social media. There was no music. And guess what? Cain killed his brother. I can advance into the book of Genesis and I can see rape and deception and murder and all kinds of crazy things going on in Genesis way before there was cable, way before there was the internet, way before there was pornography, way I can see Sodom and Gomorrah, way before there was the LGBTQ movement, whatever. We always like, these are the sources of temptation. No, the sources of temptation is the fallen nature inside every single person. Let me do this. I'm going to read from the London Baptist Confession and the Westminster Confession. Now, I know you're saying, well, they're going to say the same things. Well, I'm, I'm going to read the London Baptist Confession and one chapter and then the Westminster and another chapter because, well, it, that's just the way I have it set up. All right, here we go. All right. London Baptist Confession of Faith. From the original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good and wholly inclined to all evil, do precede all actual transgressions. All actual transgressions proceed from what is inside of us. 
That's where they, the problems start. Next, next paragraph. The corruption of nature during this life doth remain in those that are regenerated. And although it be through Christ pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and the first motions thereof are truly and properly sin. The, listen, the corruption of your nature remains even after you are regenerated. It's still there. It's inside of you. It is a desire. It is strong. It is real. It is present. All right, now let me go from that. Let me go to the Westminster Confession and listen to this. Um, okay, you see here, uh, which, which paragraph do I want here? We'll go with, there's a lot of, uh, okay, here we go. Let's go th- with this paragraph, all right? There's a bunch here I could read. All right, uh, nevertheless, this is speaking of Christians, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, and the prevalency of corruptions remaining in them. All right, so so even for Christians, through the temptations of Satan, there's an external one, the world, that's an external, and the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, the corruption that stays inside of us, and the neglect of the means of their preservation fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein. So that even as a believer, not only does corruption remain in you, you can fall into grievous sins. Even as a believer, you can fall into grievous sins. Now, you're always going to be sinning in some way, shape, or form, but you can fall into even what's called grievous sins. We'll call them, well, you will borrow from Catholic theology, mortal sins. You can even fall into the big sins. It is not only possible, it's highly probable that you're, that, well, it's, it's, it's guaranteed that you're going to be sinning. It's just probable that there's a great chance you're going to fall into some kind of grievous sin in some way, shape, or form. Doesn't excuse it. It's just the reality. So I want you to, this is so important. All temptation really arises from inside of us. Oh, there's these external things that will tempt us, but the reason they are tempting is because of what lies inside of us. All right, just think of it. Eve fell and she didn't even have a sinful nature. Now, her, her source of temptation was completely external and she still fell. Well, we, we are in a far worse situation than Adam and Eve because not only do we have the external things trying to tempt us and entice us to move away from God's standard, we have, the, we have something inside of us going, come on, come on, move away, move away, move away, move away, move away. Now, what does that have to do with Matthew chapter 22? What does that have to do with Matthew chapter 22 verses 37 and 40? Now, I'm I'm not going to say anything here, all right? I'm I'm not going to say anything yet. Now, let's go to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. Pay close attention to what I'm about to do here, all right? Genesis 39 verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Now, I just, I just cannot, 
I know everybody always runs right to the, the sexual temptation that Joseph faces. I understand that. And, and we, we, even, we even moved on to that. But I'm backing up and you'll see why. All right. Now, remember, how does Joseph end up in this situation? He went from favorite son with a coat of many colors, loved by his father above all of his brothers. Everything's wonderful. He's even being able to be the, the, the he can tell on his brothers. Everything's going great for Joseph, right? Everything's wonderful. And the next thing you know, he finds himself in a pit with his brothers contemplating killing him. Next thing you know, they sell him. He is sold as a slave. He finds himself here because of what his brothers did to him. They betrayed him. They sold him. And now he went from favorite son to a slave. I cannot stress this enough, okay? Now, from that, there could be an internal. Now, remember, God's standard is forgive, Turn the other cheek. Love. Don't be filled with anger. Don't be filled with bitterness. Don't be filled with wrath. That's that's God's standard. But obviously there's going to be an enticement, right? And we talked about you can be enticed to move away from God's standard by every interaction with people uh, and circumstances. Because of what people did to him and because of his circumstances, he could allow himself to be filled with bitterness, anger, wrath, seeking revenge, frustration, depression, discouragement, a million things. Just just keep that in mind, right? Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man and was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and made him overseer over, over his house and all that he had put into his hand. The, the slave owner, the one who bought Joseph and Joseph is serving as a slave is prospering because of Joseph. Joseph is there not seeking to escape, not seeking to change his circumstance not griping about it, grumbling about it, fighting against it. He's like, here's where I am. He seems to understand this is where God has put him. He is serving God. He doesn't seem to be being completely destroyed by bitterness, by wrath, by anger. No, he just seems to like, this is where, he seems to understand that where he is. And we understand this by the time we get to the end of Genesis. He says what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He sees God in it. But he doesn't see God in it as a way to get out of it. He sees that God is in it, so he will seek God in the midst of it. There is temptation here for him to say, forget serving my slave owner. I'm going to escape and get back to my father. Wait till my father finds out what you did. I'm, the, I'm, I'm, I'm his favorite. He doesn't do any of that. He serves. He avoids that temptation. Just stay with me. Right? This is so critical. All right? Uh, and it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer the house over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and on the field. Again, Joseph, the slave, becomes a source of blessing to the ones who purchased him. It's like Joseph's present is, presence is good for all of these people. But wait a minute. Joseph Joseph shouldn't be worried about being a blessing to them. He should be worried about getting out of the situation, right? But no, 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 no. He maintains a right 
attitude. Like, in other words, even though in his flesh, he's got the same flesh as you and I, he doesn't allow the, he, he, he responds in a biblical way. Like, what does this have to do with Matthew 22? Stay with me, stay with me, all right? And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had saved the bread which he did eat, and Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. The, the owner is like, I trust my slave completely. Here, it's all in your hands. I don't even need to worry about anything. Joseph's going to take care of everything. That's how much he trusts Joseph. Joseph is completely responding in the most biblical way possible, even though it's a slave owner. It's absolutely like, you can't miss this part of the story. Everybody wants to get to, oh, wait, wait, he's going to get sexually uh, tempted. Now, now we come up with 10 principles that help us overcome sexual temptation. I think we come up with principles to overcome sexual temptation that in many cases are more, they, they, they tend to be more derived from Christian psychologists than from biblical exegesis. So I believe the key to sexual temptation in this context is everything that happens before the sexual temptation occurs. And I think it has everything to do with Matthew chapter 22. Just stay with me, all right? Verse seven. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. Now here's the temptation. Now it's an external temptation, but please remember, all sexual temptation is even stronger for a couple of reasons. It's, listen, the desire for sex isn't wrong. It's not bad. It's not dirty. It's not shameful. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. It is perfectly okay. It's there, but it's inside of you. So the desire for sex is already inside of you. So, so that already makes it a very scary temptation, right? So it's, it's inside of you. It's not bad, right? I, I could break these down a little bit more, but yet, I just want you to understand the desire for, for sex is inside of you. It's not bad. It's built into your flesh. It's right there. It's natural. It's biological, right? So there's nothing wrong with it, but it's inside of you. Now, guess what else is inside of you? Oh, your own fleshly nature. This makes sexual temptation extremely powerful because it's, it, the desire is already inside of you. And what else is inside of you is your sinful nature. So you've got all this going on internally. Now here comes an external appeal to that internal desire. She comes on, and please note, it's a woman who's introducing it. It's a woman who's, who's bringing this forth because sometimes, you know, everybody asks, like, it's just the man who commits the, the problem. Every man who's ever fallen into sin, speaking of heterosexual sin, guess what? A woman was involved because it takes two. It takes two. I don't know why we sometimes seem to forget that. Well, it's, you know, it's just the man. No, no, there was a woman involved, all right? And here, the woman is not obviously some weak woman who's like, I'm always taken advantage of. No, she's using her position and her power to say, in fact, some translations almost demand that this is almost treated like a command. You will be with me. Almost like you, you, I've laid my, like she has looked at him with lust and now she's demanding this to take place. Now, please note, this is like a 18, 19 year old young man. So, so the desire in there is strong. So I want you to understand in the previous section, there would have been a strong desire because of his sinful nature to say, I hate my brothers. 
I'm sick of this situation. I don't deserve to be in this situation. And what? I'm going to serve a slave owner? No, I'm going to escape. I'm not going to, I'm going to do the least I can do, the minimum I can do because I am sick of this. And he could have been filled with bitter. He could have been bitterness. He could have been filled with anger. He could have been filled with wrath. And now he's in a situation where, wait a minute. Considering everything that's gone wrong, well, then why shouldn't I indulge my flesh right here? But, but this all fits together, right? So there comes the temptation. He's got, but please note, sexual temptation is inside, right? You've got the sinful part and then you've got the natural part. So this makes it extremely powerful. But look at verse eight. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master what if not what is with me in the house? He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in the house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He mentions in the midst of the temptation his master, hey, his ma- the master trusts me. He's placed everything into my hands, but he hasn't placed you into my hands. So I can't do this wickedness. In a sense, I can't do this wickedness against the master and I cannot sin against God. I can't do this wickedness against my master and I cannot do the sin against God. These bring two concepts that I think are absolutely critical to Genesis 39 and to all temptation. And that is, we must love the Lord thy God with all our heart, mind, body, and soul, and love, uh, in fact, I'll go back to Matthew 22. I just want to read it directly instead of just quoting it. I want to read it directly because I think it's so important and I want you to hear it being read, not just me reciting it. Matthew 22, right? Here we go. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Both concepts show up in Genesis 39. On one hand, he could be tempted now to hate his brothers. He could be tempted now to hate his master. And you could argue from a human perspective, well, he has reason to. But the Bible says, no, love your neighbor. Not only that, love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Okay, do not be filled with anger, wrath, and bitterness. He, you must love other people. If you love other people, that's the first step into avoiding many sins that temptation will bring upon you, all right? And you must love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. So let me try to put it together this way. The source of temptation is inside. With sexual temptation, it's not only inside because of your flesh, it's a good, healthy desire that's natural, so it's right there but you cannot fulfill it obviously in a way that God has condemned, but it's all inside of you. If all temptation, listen to me carefully. If all temptation derives from within you, then you must place something in you that is greater than that pull and push 
to move you in the wrong or that enticement. That enticement is built inside of you. You've got to place a greater enticement inside of you to override the enticement of your flesh. Your flesh and that greater enticement has to be loving God and loving others. The love for God and the love for others can be a greater enticement to keep you from the lust that is inside of you. Lust, and I say lust, not just in a sexual way, because we always, in fact, let me just show you, because whenever we hear lust, we, we turn all of this into, you know, discussion about sex, a discussion about sex, right? Let me, let me show you. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to look up the word lust, definition, and the word lust just means a very strong sexual desire um, have a, a strong sexual desire. So that they put this all in sexual con, uh, in, in, um, in, in, in the context of sexual desire. I'll go to a different dictionary just so you can see what I'm referring to here. A strong feeling of sexual desire, okay, but a strong desire for something, a lust, craving desire for money, adventure. He was driven by a lust for power, Now that gives you a better idea. Lust goes beyond just sex. It goes beyond a strong desire. Let me make it very clear. Your flesh inside of you is in a constant lust mode. It lusts for its ways. It lusts for its thoughts, its words, its actions, its own attitude. That's what's in the heart of us. And so that lust may manifest itself maybe in a sexual sin. Look, Joseph, inside of his flesh, he could have been said, well, look, no, 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 no. I was the favored son. This is wrong. He could have become bitter, not only at his brothers, at God. He could have become bitter at his master. He could have become bitter and frustrated at his circumstances. So you need something greater in you than that lust. Well, what's greater? Okay, well, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. He perceives God is the one who's sovereign. So God did this. And if I love God, I will accept whatever he gives me because no matter how evil it appears, he's going to, he's going to do something in it. I, I'm supposed to love others, even if they don't love me. I'm not supposed to love my enemy. Now, I understand that I'm applying what Jesus says Back to Genesis 39, I understand that. And you could argue that Joseph would not have necessarily have been given that command precisely. You could argue, well, wait a minute. This is always the struggle with how to interpret Genesis 39. Well, wait a minute. Has there been any law handed down in in Genesis up to this point about adultery? Doesn't that come in the Ten Commandments? We could have all those discussions all day. I'm saying that whatever... I will state it this way because I want to make sure we're historically accurate. He doesn't have those laws, but he, in a sense, he is clearly demonstrating a respect for his master that is so great, it becomes the very protection from him engaging in what he calls to a sinful action. If his attitude, listen, if his attitude towards his brother and his master was wrong, He would have been vulnerable to the lust of sexual desire, but there was something greater in him. And I will refer to this as a love for his neighbor, a love for his brother, a love for his enemies. 
Because if he didn't have it, then it would have been like, who cares? Who cares if I do this wickedness against my master? Who cares? It's irrelevant. It's real relevant. But he mentions, I can't do this wickedness. And then he refers to, I cannot sin against God. His love for others and his love for God becomes the protection from the lust to fulfill his desire. Love for God and love for others has to be a greater enticement than your love for self or your love for your own fleshly desire. Now, let me make it very clear. This will never be perfect. This is one of the most frustrating things about teaching on temptation because the average Christian gets taught, hey, you can, you have the power to overcome temptation. You have the power. Well, if I have the power, then I can stop sinning. Well, you'll never stop sinning. Well, clearly I don't have the power. So we have to understand temptation is it's never going to be perfect, but the solution is the love for God and the love for others has to be a greater enticement. And I'm just going to call it lust for self pleasure. And when and I'm not just saying that from a sexual perspective, lust of self-pleasure, in other words, doing your, going your way, doing what you want, thinking your way. That's how come, that's how come the Bible is a very critical that to follow Christ, we have to die to self, deny self, and follow something other than ourselves. But in this particular case, Genesis 39, you have Joseph, this young young from our perspective, teenager. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing here in the text I think that would put him above 19. He's 17 and 37. So, I, you know, maybe maybe he's older. I mean, I don't, I, I, we could try to figure it out, but I think he's around 19 probably at the time. Maybe I, I could be wrong. We can figure it out, but he's still young. And he's in this very difficult circumstance. But what we don't see him doing is we don't feel, we don't see anger. We don't see bitterness. We don't see wrath. We don't see discouragement, depression. We don't see rebellion. We don't see him trying to get out of the situation. We seem to see a godly acceptance. This is where I am. Doesn't mean he walked around liked his situation. I I would assume he would prefer to have been back home, being walking around in this coat of many colors, being the favorite son. I think that would be an honest expectation, but he doesn't do that. He he seems to acknowledge, and again, by the time you get to end end of Genesis, he makes it very clear. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He sees God in it. So he's like, my love for God, and in a sense, my, even if he may not have used the word, his respect, his honoring of his master was a greater enticement than his physical desire for sexual relationships. Now, you can say, well, so it's that simple? If I love God supremely and love my neighbor supremely, then I can avoid temptation? In theory, <laughs> okay. in practice, you're never going to love God supremely. You're never going to love your neighbor the way you should. So therefore, you're always going to be vulnerable to temptation. But there's going to be, because the battle happens inside, then there's going to be a greater enticement inside than the enticement that already exists. And the enticement that already exists is, especially when it comes to sex, sex is a natural enticement. It's there. And that natural enticement will move you to fulfill that desire in a way that's not biblical. Whether it's, whether it's in thought, 
whether it's in word, whether it's in attitude, action, and and, and so many different ways. But don't make this just about sex because I I know we have to deal with that, but just listen, there's a lot. In this particular case, in Genesis 39, right? Now, I do not want to allegorize this. So make sure you understand this. This is a real woman who really has lust, who really almost commands Joseph that they will be physically intimate. There's no question about it. But I want you to replace her because see, some of you are like, well, I don't have that problem. Never struggle with sexual sin. And I don't understand why anybody would. I'm, I'm superior to everyone else. Well, you know what? Congratulations. Praise God that you've never had that problem. You've never struggled with it. That's great. Millions of others have. Millions of others continue to, all right? And you say, yeah, all those men. All right, fine, great. Just blame all the men for it, all right? Just remember that they usually engage in that sin with women. So where are the women coming from? Okay, but all right, but that's fine. That's fine. You replace her with whatever your issue is. I mean, we could go back to Genesis 39, one through six. How do you respond to interactions with people that are negative? Do you respond with turning the other cheek, loving your enemy? Do you respond with blessing those who persecute you? Do you respond with with no anger, no wrath, no frustration, no bitterness? Do you respond that way? Or do you find yourself with bitterness, frustration, wrath? You gossip, you slander, you talk about them and, and and you're upset about it and you're bothered and you get discouraged and you get depressed and you're filled with anxiety and worry. How do you handle negative circumstances? Do you find yourself in a negative circumstance, but whenever you're in a negative circumstance, good comes from it because you don't allow those negative circumstances to control you. You continue to love and serve God and you're a blessing in the middle of of a negative circumstance. Joseph is in a horrible circumstance, but he is a blessing. Joseph has been completely messed over, but he's a blessing. He's not filled with all of those negative things. So go back to that. That, that, how do you handle negative interactions with people and how do you handle negative circumstances? He handles those by showing love for others, even his enemies. Now, how do you handle when something entices you to go against God's standard, whether in thought, word, added action, or attitude? It doesn't have to be a woman or a man trying to get you to have sexual relations, but it, it can be anything, anything. You, you just create your own scenario and you say, okay, that's what entices me. It can entice you to worry or to anger. It can entice you, whatever the standard is, you figure out that's the standard and this is what entices me over and over and over and over and over again in a way. And then see, and instead of seeing how maybe superior you are over to other people who fall in the sexual realm, see maybe that you're not as superior as you think you are. We have a tendency to see our superiority instead of our sinfulness. Genesis 37, and and again, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read all of this because this is just so crazy. I'm gonna read verse seven. Please note, verses one through six, he he handles himself by showing basically love for others, love love for his enemy. 
No, no hatred. No, no. He's turning the other cheek. He's blessing those. Well, he's blessing. He's literally a blessing to the person who purchased him as a piece of property. That's insane to me to the story because I'm telling you, I wouldn't be a source of blessing. I'd be either trying, I'd be trying to escape. That's what I'd be doing. That's what I would be doing. You can say, well, you wouldn't. Well, you're more godly than I am, okay? I've always said I'm just a sinner sitting in front of a microphone, okay? I don't claim to be anything better than anyone else, all right? Here we go. Then verse seven, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. Right? What? What? You you cha- replace her with whatever is telling you to come do something that's contrary to God's standard or enticing you away from God's standard. He refused and said unto his master's wife, "Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in the house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then could I do?" This great wickedness, it seems to be the wickedness would be going against his master. If he has the wrong attitude towards his master, that motivation is gone. And then the next motivation he has here, and sin against God. His love for God and his love for others seems to be the key here. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that she hearkened not that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Now, this means the temptation persists. It comes day after day after day after day. Now, the only way you resist a temptation that is continual, and sexual temptation is continual because it's inside of you, you have to have a greater enticement inside of you. What was greater enticement to him was obviously respect and honor of his master, and a love for God, or a respect and honor for God. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within, and she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Now he has to just actually flee. He has to actually run. Now, there's some principles here about temptation. Obviously, it never stops. Sometimes all you can do is run from a situation. Sometimes all you can do is flee a situation. You got to know what to do to do that. Sometimes, in other words, in this particular case, though, let's make it clear. If he doesn't run, he's in trouble because she's basically like, it's almost like she's forcing it. Okay, it's almost like sexual harassment. Sexual assault is going down right here. Okay, but it's a woman doing it to the man. Right? This is being forced. And he runs. Now, you don't run unless you have a greater enticement inside of you. So you have to, you have, to have love for others and love for God as a greater enticement than the lust that lieth, lieth within you. And that lust is a lust for self-pleasure, self-will self-desire. You've got to replace a greater enticement inside of you. And that's not, it's never going to be perfect. I mean, that's why I read the London Baptist and Westminster. The sin is always going to be inside of you. It's always going to be like, we've got, if we, if we don't get anything else this week out of, out of a study of temptation, temptation never stops. It never ceases because the flesh is always fighting against the spirit. 
It never goes away and you will continue to sin. You will never be perfect. You can make up all the excuse. Well, you'll, you'll be, you're still going to sin. And if you sit, if you break one point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. So you may have never committed adultery, but if you've broken any other point of the law, well, you're just, you're an adulterer as well because you're guilty of all points of the law. We're constantly sinners. Now that doesn't excuse it, but I just want to make sure that we have a correct understanding of, of dealing with temptation. It's not like, okay, if I, if, if I, if I read this book on temptation, I'll never do that sin again. That's, that's a ridiculous way to think. You'd have to fight against it. And I think that in a roundabout way, Genesis 39 is showing us the key. I think verses one through six is the key to verses seven through 12. If his attitude is wrong towards his circumstances and his master, he's going to fall into sin. Think of it this way. Love for others and love for God should be the consistent enticement in our life, irregardless of circumstance or what other people do to us. Irregardless to the actions we are, uh, we encounter as a result. Think of it, irregardless to the actions we are victimized by in regards to other people and irregardless to the circumstances in which we find ourselves, the greatest enticement must be love for others and love for God. Now, I will, I will instead of using that language, because that's a very New Testament language, now it does show up in, in the Old Testament as well, but we're in Genesis 39. So even if we don't use love, he clearly honors his master and honors God is a greater enticement to him than committing the sin. No matter how many times he's tempted. Now he finally runs off. Now he runs off either he, he, he feels his own weakness or he realizes if I stay here, this woman's going to force me. And he's basically running from being sexually assaulted. I think that's very very important. And if you hear all of those sounds in the background, that's the Edify Christian podcast app going crazy. All right. I know I say that in every episode because I always leave my phone way too close to the microphone, but that's okay. All right. Now there's far more I could say here. There's more I could go in and and look at what happens here. There's more principles. There's more principles, but I want you to really think about how Matthew 22, 37 through 40 may actually be the key to all temptations. I want you to think of every temptation. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of every temptation you can think of. Just every temptation you can think of. All right? Maybe, uh, and, and, and not ones that, don't, don't focus on the ones that, uh, that, you know, applies to your spouse or applies to your kids. The ones that all apply to you. Think of tempt- all the temptations you can think of that are clearly an issue with you and see how love for others and love for God could be, if that was a greater enticement, how that would combat against said t- uh, temptation. And realize the temptation is coming inside. It's inside of you. So what we, we always think of, we got to get rid, we've got to eliminate the external temptations, right? Okay, get rid of that, get rid of that, don't watch that, cut, you know, block that, and we'll fix it. But the issue is inside of you. And even if you fix those external things, you can still commit this, the similar sins in your mind and in and, and other ways that can still be com- committed. They can still happen. 
right? People, listen, people were committing all kinds of crazy sexual sins way before the internet existed. Now, the internet gives you different ways to commit that sin, right? May give you different opportunities, but way before it existed, there was homosexuality, bestiality, you name it. It was all going, I mean, that's the Old Testament gives you all the, the, the restrictions against it because clearly it was going on. I mean, for crying out loud, almost every religion back then almost always associated sexuality with their religious practices. That was going on in in the city of Corinth. They didn't have some horrible movie to give them the idea. They're like, we're going to worship God through sexuality. We're going to worship our God through having temple prostitutes. I can get closer to God if I'm sleeping with a temple prostitute. They didn't need anything because it's inside of us. So we have to put something inside of us that's greater than that. Now, some people say, well, we've got the Holy Spirit in us and he gives us the power to overcome it. Well, again, even if you, if you make that claim, you have to claim that he doesn't give you enough power because you can't be perfect. So therefore, that just seems to fall apart. What we have to do is try to put this love for God and love for others inside of us that I think counteracts the enticement of the thing. Never perfectly because we never will love God perfectly. Well, we'll never love others perfectly. But I just, I want you to think of all the, te- I'm, I'm sitting here right now thinking about it, of different temptations. If, like, think in Joseph's case. If, you, if he loves his master or honors his master more than his desire for sex, well, then he won't engage in that sexual relationship because it will be a, a crime against his master. Therefore, he's motivated not to do it. If he loves God more than his desire for sex, then he won't engage in it. If he loves God, loves God and loves his master more than he, his desire for vengeance and bitterness and wrath at his circumstances and his situations, well, then he won't be that good of a slave. But he puts that all aside and he, he's such a great slave that the master is like, hey, give everything to Joseph. I trust him completely. I mean, think, think of, uh, go back to Genesis 37. If, if his brothers would loved God and loved Joseph more than themselves, they would not have become so bitter at Joseph's favorite position. They would have been happy for him and, gl- and great and glad that he was, he was placed in such a great position of honor. They would have, they would have loved it. They would have said, well, congratulations to you, Joseph, because we love you like we love ourselves. But they know they love themselves more than they love Joseph. And so as a result, they're throwing their brother in a pit, thinking about killing him and then sell him as a slave. And then they go home and deceive their father. If they love their father more than they went and went home and deceived their father. And just go through all the temptations. They, don't they almost all, we almost all go back to somehow that those two things would fix it? That's my thesis. That's my hypothesis. That's my theory. You can tell me what you think. All right? You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I I wanted to do more, but I'm going to just stop right there because I think that that that, that really, I think, puts forth yeah, I, I think that's the right way to do so. I think that's the right way to do so, okay? Um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm checking email and I'm getting emails, but they're not in regards to what I'm currently teaching on. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. I'll stop right there. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, Jesus said unto him, yeah, Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Yes. Yeah. It, it, to me, that, that, that's just how it all fits together. That, that, that's, to me, that's how, that's, that's how Genesis 39 is coming. Even in Genesis 37, it, it, that's, you've got to have the greater enticement of that than the enticement of the flesh. You have to, you have to, you have to put something greater than the lust of the flesh inside of you. And that is the love of other, love of others and love of God. That includes your enemies. That's such a strong emphasis in the Sermon on the Mount. We won't do it perfectly, okay? I, I don't want you to, so many, I've got a book right here. Very important book in my spiritual life. At some, at the, the older I became as a Christian, the more frustrated I got with the book. But the book is called Temptation by Charles Stanley. I got this young, in the 80s. I think, that, I don't even know when this was published. Um, I don't, let's see, do I have a year here? Let me see here if I have a year. Um, this is a long time ago. Yeah, 19, see, 1988, 1988, okay? So I got this, I was a, a teenager. And uh, I remember like, wait, this is gonna fix all of my temptation problems. This is gonna fix it. This is gonna do it. As almost like this is the answer. And in some ways it almost act like that, hey, if you follow these rules, you're gonna get all fixed. And well, it, it didn't fix everything. I, I, com, I still committed sin. Now, the longer that I've been a Christian, the more I, I've realized, wait a minute, all this stuff that, that you've got the power now and you'll stop. I realize now that that's completely ridiculous because all those people who say you have the power and you can stop sinning are the very ones that then turn around in the very next sentence to say, however, you can't be perfect. Well, then that means I can't stop sinning. So don't tell me I have the power to stop sinning and then tell me I can't be perfect because that's utter ridiculous, okay? That's ridiculousness. That's foolishness. That's stupid. I'm just going to be blunt, okay? So, so we're all going to sin, okay? Now, if we're all going to sin, that means it's, that it's going to be a constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, I mean, I'm not saying we should continue to sin as much as we always have. We should always struggle to sin less. We're never going to be sinless. But how can then we combat these issues? Well, Genesis 39, there's two things going on. The first section is key to the second section. And that's love God, love others. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse it. Love others and love God. Because that's kind of how Genesis 39 reverses it. But the two principles are applicable no matter which one comes first. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. That has to be an enticement that replaces that. It never will replace it has to be the enticement that is a greater enticement in me than the, uh, the self-desire, the, the, the self-pleasure lust that is in me. And sometimes the, the enticement for self will outweigh love for others and love for God. It's happened to me way too many times in my Christian life, too many failures, and I'm probably not the only one. All right, I'll stop there. There's so much we could talk about. So much we could talk about. Oh, I, I, oh, I hope, I hope this, I hope this really sparks some, some important conversations. All right, I'll stop right there. All right, you can email me newsif at yahoo.com. Thank you, uh, Twyla, for listening to, uh, 
I don't know if anybody else is listening, but Twyla has, been, has listened to two things, so I really appreciate that. All right, thank you so very much. Um, I'm, I may do one more thing. I have to decide here um, what I want to do. So I'll try to make a decision here, or I, if, you, if I don't come back on the air in about 15 minutes, that's because I'm driving home. All right, <laughs> there we go. All right, everyone have a great day. That's, that's three, almost three hours. Yeah, that is three hours of teaching. So three hours of teaching, but only two broadcasts. And we all know why there's only two broadcasts, because Twyla said, don't stop. So it's her fault. All right, I'll stop right there. Everyone have a great day. God bless.